This is the tenth and final talk that I'm going to do on the art of telling the stories of Scripture word of mouth. And the big the big point with this has been this is a this is a useful tool for um, preaching the gospel and for making disciples. And I think it's also part of the restoration that we're called to. It's something uh, that used to happen more in uh, the culture of um, the people of, of God, Elohim, and uh, we lost it, and we're getting it back, eh? Um, you remember how Yeshua said, go, and um, if they're not a believer, make them a believer, preach the gospel to them. If they are a believer, what do you do? Disciple them, teach them to do my commands, eh? So we're just going to cover some very uh, simple how-to stuff with relation to that. Uh, last week, we talked about, if you want, let's say that you want to tell a story, word of mouth, from the scriptures, how would you get ready to do that? Just like almost anything that the Father says to do, it takes a little bit of intention. Like if you want to really honor the Sabbath, if you want to rest on Shabbat, you kind of have to plan ahead, think ahead a little bit. It's the same with telling stories from His Word, eh? That would be, that would be a little example. Um, so, I'm just going to... And last week we talked about if you want to get ready to tell a story, some, some little tips on how to do that, how to tell a story um, from His Word. And then also, um, we talked last week about following up with questions and, and just having some discussion. So you're not just clubbing someone over the head with what you think, you're asking questions and engaging them. Um, so this week, we're just going to cover a little related, uh, related um, objective. And that would be if you just have, uh, let's say, a child or a grandchild or a friend or a neighbor, and you want to get in that groove of telling them stories from the scriptures. How, how would you get ready to do that? How would you, how would you do that? And uh, here are some practical little tips that we can, that we can incorporate for that. Uh, firstly, it's great to develop a storytelling culture in our community. So, for instance, on Friday nights when we get together at our house, we're, we're, we're trying to grow a culture of telling the stories from Scripture because, quite frankly, I, it's not something I've ever done. It's not something Genevieve has ever done. It's, it's a lost art. And so it's one of those arts that we want to regain. So the first thing I would say is um, get in the habit of, of telling the stories of Scripture word of mouth in, in your group because you're surrounded by people who know the word, people who are very supportive, people who are there to cheer you on and encourage you, and also people that you can trust to give you constructive uh, criticism and, and helpful feedback, that kind of thing. Eh? So that would be the first thing I would say. Um, if you develop a good storytelling culture in your group uh, when we gather as disciples, that's a very powerful thing to help us get in that groove. Um, when it comes to preparing to, let's say, tell a story from Scripture to an individual, I, I, I don't think... Again, I think it takes some intention, but it's not much different than how you would prepare to tell a story to a group. You know, you would, you would pray, you'd say, Father, what's a good story to tell? You would read the word, you would, perhaps you would point one out to you or he would bring one to mind. And then just read through it a couple times in a couple of different translations, get a good feel for the story, and then sit down and organize it in your mind, you know, the action, the quotes, and then just kind of form the story out. And again, it's, it's one of those things where we don't want to make stuff up. What? Just, just tell me what you're saying. It's okay. What's that? Oh, okay, thanks. I wasn't sure if you were saying, saying to turn the volume down. Is it too loud in here? Okay. I just want to take a really long time with this, but thanks, baby. Sorry, I just, I can't read lips. Genevieve can read lips and I can't. And so she tries to, like, tell me stuff and I'm like, what? <laughs> That's a different language. So, anyway, I'll slow down. Thanks, Genevieve. Just go on, go on. Yeah. But, um, I don't remember what I was saying, but I'm sure it was pretty good. Um, 
What was I talking about? <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Again, yeah, and again, it's not like you want to make stuff up. You want to make it very clear, this is God's word. This is Elohim's word. And I'm just telling it to you word of mouth. So, you know, you want to tell it in your own, your own words. You want to explain words or customs that a non-religious person wouldn't understand. And, uh, and you, you know, you want to help them to get into the story. You know, describe what, 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 what was happening. Let them see it with their own eyes, you know. Um, you might even use different voices for different characters. Those kinds of things, you're not adding to the word. You're simply helping to explain it, helping people to understand it, right? So those are some things that we covered last week. I'm not going to go over all, all of that again. Um, but one, so that's, those are some things about pre- preparing to tell a story um, and, and how to tell a story. Now, something I've noticed is... Um, there, there are two challenges for those of us who want to learn to do this. Uh, one of them is, if, if, we're, if we come from a religious background, um, very often most of our social contacts are with other believers. It's just, it's, you know, we love fellowship and we love each other, so it makes sense that we'd spend a lot of time with each other. But sometimes we forget about that other side, where Yeshua said, you know, I came to look for lost people. And, and sometimes we, I, I think we forget to prioritize that in, in who we spend time with and in, in, in our social contacts and the kinds of people that we have over for tea or coffee, that kind of thing, right? So that, the first challenge that we're going to face with this is just, um, I would call it like our tendency to stay in the ghetto. Uh, you remember in Europe, in the Middle Ages, the Jewish people, they had a special neighborhood, a walled neighborhood, and it was called the ghetto. And the Jewish people stayed in the ghetto. And they only related to people in the ghetto, generally speaking. And maybe they'd go outside the ghetto to do business, but that was their hood, eh? And um, I think sometimes we tend to do that as, uh, as believers. We kind of stay in the ghetto of people who think like us, right? So I would say, yes, the ghetto, so to speak, is our home, but we also want to venture out. We want to reach out. We want to build relationships with people not like us. So that's the, that's the first challenge to surmount. Uh, the second one isn't one that's in the religious world necessarily. It's just one that we all face in, um, in the West, and, and that is busyness. Um, and I do believe there are seasons of busyness. There are times when we just need to lock in, work overtime, and get a job done. But for us, uh, I think very often as human beings, it's, it's tempting for us to get so busy that we don't have time for people. We don't have time for those conversations. And uh, sometimes it doesn't hurt, I think, to stop and ask, how could I restructure my life? How could I um, restructure my priorities to make sure I have that time for those kinds of conversations where I can, where I can share the stories uh, from his word? Um, that's, that's, that's been a big challenge for me because I'm a very hard worker. I'm a goal-oriented person. I, I, it, seriously, if I got all the stuff done that I wanted to get done in life, I would have to live for a couple centuries. Like, I would have to live till... And I've told Genevieve that. I'm like, Genevieve, I wish I could live for two or three hundred years just so I could get all the stuff done that I want to get done. I wish I didn't have to sleep. You know, that kind of stuff. And so for me, like, it's been challenging. I've had to restructure my, some of my priorities so that I have time to just talk with non-religious people, build friendships with them, and, and get to share, share the word with them. Uh, tell them the stories uh, from the scriptures. So those are two challenges that you may face. Uh, the tendency towards uh, staying in the ghetto and the tendency towards busyness and just not having time. Um, so just... Uh, Keep those in mind and, and see if there are ways that you can restructure maybe your, your, your schedule or some of your priorities. Um, you, you've probably noticed that. Like, you know, you, you, when it comes to conversation, whether it be in family setting or in a marriage or in a friendship, it, it often doesn't just happen, unfortunately. Uh, it it's often has to be one of those things that you have to be intentional about. You call someone up and you say, let's go out for coffee, or do you want to come over? Or we're going to the lake uh, this Sunday, do you want to come to the lake? You know, and it often takes some intentionality, but when you do that, you're creating those contexts where you can tell the stories from his word to people. 
that would otherwise maybe never crack open a Bible. Uh, those kinds of those kinds of ideas. Um, something I, I've learned is, you know, let's say you want to share a story from the Word with a, with a non-religious friend or someone. Just start by asking them if you can tell them, share a story with them that you've been thinking about this week, a story that's been meaningful to you. Because you want to keep it personal, and hopefully this is a story that is meaningful to you. Hopefully you really are contemplating the meaning of it for your own life, eh? And then, and then you're actually, you're enhancing that relationship by sharing something from your own life, and you're also sharing His Word. Um, so that's a great way often to start that off. That's how I often do it with my buddies. Let's say we're, we go out for wings, and I'll be like, can I, can I share a story with you I've been thinking about this week and that I've just been, I've been wrestling with maybe, that kind of thing. Eh? And uh, people are very open to that kind of discussion. Um, sometimes maybe there'll be a story that you want to tell, and one of the themes or the motifs in the story will be related to a problem that you have, a problem that your friend has, um, something on the media. Very often you can make a connection, right? And then, and then again, it's just showing how the scriptures are relevant to the world we live in. Uh, you can sometimes do that. Uh, of course, you'll want to tailor the story to the person's level of understanding. You'll want to use language that they, they can relate to. Eh? So if I was telling a story from Scripture to a PhD, I would tell it in a different way and with a different set of terms than I would if I was telling it to a 12-year-old from my neighborhood would be an example. Eh? So you just you want to be sensitive to that. Use language that people understand. Um, after, you know, you want to keep the story short, keep it simple. Uh, you know, I already explained kind of how to tell a story, so I won't get into that. But um, you remember last week I showed you a picture of a big question mark and a, and a big exclamation mark. And I said, what, is this, what does the exclamation mark look like? It kind of looks like a club. What does a question mark look like? It kind of looks like a hook. And I think that can be very true in conversation. If all you're doing is just talking to the other person in a conversation, eventually they'll begin to feel like you're clubbing them with your thoughts, with your agenda, with your life. Sometimes people just, their guards go up, their walls go up, and they just don't want to talk with you anymore because you're a conversational narcissist. You're a conversational bore. Um, in, in conversation, and I think this is also true when it comes to telling stories, when you use question marks, they're like hooks. They, they engage people. They, they draw what people are thinking out. And... Uh, you know, that's, um, that's something that's very true, not just when you're telling stories in a group, but when you're telling a story to a friend or to a child or grandchild, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, I mentioned some of the stories that I've found to be really useful, very, that, that, that really encourage conversation uh, last week. I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll run over those again briefly here um, for you. I, I like to start by asking, what, what do you like about this story or what bothers you about this story? Because there's usually something that a person likes and then they have that affinity with it. And sometimes someone might have an objection or a question or something they'd say, you know, I don't agree with that. That bugs me. And it's good to, to invite that honest dialogue. Eh? And then listen to what the person says. And if you have thoughts, share them after the other person shares, right? So they're not feeling clubbed. Um, another thing you can ask is, who, who would you be in this story? Is there anyone you can relate to in this story? Uh, questions along those lines. Um, have you had an experience that someone in this story experienced? Again, it's just that it's just helping people to understand how it's relevant to their lives, seeing themselves in the story. So, for instance, the prodigal son. There's the father, there's the good son, and there's the runaway son. Most people can relate to one of those three experiences in their lives. Eh? And if you relate to the experience of the son who ran away, suddenly that story will become very meaningful to you. You realize. Maybe God isn't that cold, harsh, judgmental, distant person that, that he was portrayed as or that I thought of him as. 
He's, he's waiting for me. He's warm. He's loving. He wants to embrace me. So you, as soon as you see yourself in the story, it becomes meaningful to your heart on an emotional level. Eh? So that, that, that's, a, that's a second question that I would encourage asking. Um, you can ask a, story, a question like, what does this story tell you about people, about human nature? Because even stories from the scriptures that are 4,000 years old, they're stories about people, just like you and me. Human nature hasn't changed over time. I don't, I don't, if anything, I think it's gotten worse. <laughs> Which um, maybe evolution wouldn't agree with. I think, I, I think maybe I would believe in devolution. I think we're devolving if we're doing anything. Anyway, um, another story you can ask, and this is a big one. What does this story tell you about Yeshua? If Yeshua is the, you know, the centerpiece of the story. Or what does this story tell you about, about, our, about the Creator, about Elohim, God? Um, you know, often that's a good one. And... Um, at the end, you know, if, you're, if your friend really likes the story, if they really get into it, you might even want to say, do you know anybody that you could tell the story to this week? See if you can help it go viral. See if you can help it kind of skip to that next level. Eh? So. so those are just some, that's just some tips on like how to follow up on if you're telling a story to a child or a grandchild or a friend or a neighbor, uh, those kinds of people. I think you'd, you'd be surprised how a simple little story can open up really meaningful conversation. It can unlock people's hearts. And, uh, and it doesn't take much because the Spirit uses the word, eh? Um. Here's, a, here's, a, here's a quote from a, a man named Stephen Stringer. I'll share it with you. And then I'll read you two short stories about people who have really taken this idea and ran with it. Uh, Stephen Stringer says, A picture is worth a thousand words. A story is worth a thousand pictures. A picture is worth a thousand words. A story is worth a thousand pictures. And I think if you're, uh, if you're a visual learner, if you're talking with someone who's a visual learner, that's especially true. So here's a, th this is a book called Truth That Sticks by Avery Willis and Mark Snowden. Um, it's about basically how to tell the stories of scripture, word of mouth. Uh, you know, I, I've been reading you some stories from here. I'm going to read you one more. Um, it says, uh, Jim Putman said the most frequently asked question when churches come to immersion, which is their ministry's training for church staff members, their, their, their big question is, where did you get all these leaders? Uh, Jim replied, we grew them. 85 of the 90 people on our church staff came right out of the community. We took them through the reproducible, disciple-making process. And when they were ready, and sometimes before they thought they were ready, we put them on the playing field as apprentices, small group leaders, coaches, and community pastors. They often were diamonds in the rough, but weren't Jesus' disciples? Jim continued, I like orality. That's their buzzword for like telling the stories of scripture word of mouth, right? I like orality because it helps me produce leaders. The number one thing I hear, I hear when I ask a person to lead a small group is, I don't know enough. Maybe some of us can relate to that. I couldn't, I couldn't facilitate a midrash. I couldn't lead a small group. I, I don't know the word well enough. Then he says, why? Because they have in mind that old model that says, I have to have all the answers. But when I ask them, can you tell a story and ask questions? They say, of course I can do that. It gives them a place to learn, to play and develop. Then everyone in the group learns to tell the stories. It gives them a tool for their toolkit. They, I like that concept, a tool for their toolkit. Uh, they may not be able to quote verses, but they can tell a story to witness or talk to an unbeliever. It also helps them disciple their kids. By becoming an apprentice to the small group leader, they get a place to try out their growing skills. 
when they become small group leaders, they have a place to grow and to develop their skills. I just I think that's very powerful because often in the denominational church uh, structure today, if you want to have a leader or a pastor, what do you do? You put a, you put a notice out there on the internet, or you ask your denomination, and they send someone to you. What these guys are doing is they are make they're they're reaching new people, they're, and then they're discipling them, and they're letting them grow up in leadership in their community. So they're like homegrown instead of importing pastors who went through seminary and everything, right? I, I just think it's a very scriptural model. I would love to see more of that in, in our community too, um, as, as we have more people come in and as we get to disciple more people. And I can see how learning to tell the stories of scripture can be a, a useful part of, of, um, of, of raising up leaders like that. Uh, one more story from here. Where is it? Yeah, so these guys, um, these guys are based in, um, where is it? I think, it, I think they're based in Utah, or one of those states kind of in the west that start with a vowel. Anyway, I'll, I'll read you one more little account from, from their experiences. Um, their ministry is called Real Life Ministries. It's like a network of, of, of um, communities. Real Life Ministries has started five churches in the surrounding area. Each has from 200 to 2,500 people attending. All of them use storying methodology in relational small groups. Jean and Christy Jacobs heard that Real Life Ministries was considering planting a new church 45 miles and two serious mountain passes away in Silver Valley, Idaho. Oh yeah, that's where they are. They're in Idaho. I was thinking Utah, but Idaho. The town used to be wealthy until the mines ran out. Poverty set in, and it is now a U.S. government cleanup site. Gambling and prostitution are rampant. The Jacobses joined four Real Life Ministries members who had been commuting to Post Falls from Silver Valley. Jean told them to invite everyone they knew, and they had 40 people attend their first church service. Soon they had several small groups going. Jean originally had been skeptical about Bible storing as a way to make disciples. In fact, he called it, quote, the dumbest thing I ever heard of, unquote. <laughs> However, while serving at Real Life Ministries, he quickly saw the advantages of storying and embraced it. Jean said, here was part of the struggle. During our seven years of small groups, we tried everything to get God's word into people's hearts. The amazing thing when we started doing storying is how well you pay attention to God's word when you might have to tell the story in front of your friends. So, when Jean went to Silver Valley, storying in small groups was something he just did naturally. He started a home group with 17 attending, trusting that the Lord would move and the people would respond. They did. Chris Meyer, a firefighter, accepted Christ and was the first to be baptized. Another was Jordan White, a roofer, who often tells Bible stories on the job. These men are now leading their own groups and making disciples who follow Jesus. After six months, Jean Christie and their daughter moved to Silver Valley, and Jean has successfully planted his first church with 350 attending. Jean is now fully into the multiplying mode, both churches and people. The church has a goal to double the 10 small groups that were active as of June 2009. As Jean says with a twinkle in his eye that reflects the love and zeal in his heart, it's our valley. Is Jean Jacob's story totally unique and impossible to replicate? We believe it's achingly normal for a church to multiply when disciple-making is the chief priority and normal enough to serve up as a model for investing in people who, like Jean, Christy, Chris, and Jordan, can participate in spiritual reproduction. So, that, 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 was, that was a story of some stuff that's happening in Idaho that, that encouraged me. You know, uh, groups that are multiplying, um, you know, um, discipling like blue-collar workers, teaching them how to tell the stories of the word on the job site. Uh, that, that's fantastic. You know, I, I found that inspiring and I wanted to, wanted to share it with you guys. So, 
Now, so basically, that's um, that's what I've had to say for the last ten little talks about uh, telling the stories of Scripture. Um, my 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 proposition. Just I'll, I'll leave this with you. My proposition is um, let's let's continue in the restoration that Yeshua is leading us as his people in, and maybe that'll be something of a restoration. That aspect of learning to tell his stories, just like the disciples did at the beginning. Just like um, they did from Adam to Noah till when Moses wrote down the Torah. Maybe that's, that's part of the restoration. Maybe, it's, maybe part of it is a restoration. Yeah. So let's, uh, let, let's, let's continue with this. Let's, um, let's be in, in discussion about how we can go ahead with this. You know, if you take this and run with it and you start telling the stories of Scripture to your children or grandchildren in a new way, let us know how that goes. Uh, we, would love to, we would love to be encouraged by that. We would love to um, like learn from each other. You know, Genevieve and I have been doing this for a while and we're learning a lot of things. Where it's, uh, Some of it's been trial and error, but we've had some beautiful successes and triumphs along the way. And let's just continue to share those challenges and those, um, those, those um, triumphs uh, with each other. And let's just remember that, you know, there are 4.3 billion people that are non-literate. Many of them, there are some here in Prince Albert. Let's reach out to those people in, in, in ways that, uh, that can reach them. You know, um, let's... Um, let's Talk to people the way Yeshua talked, which includes telling stories, so that we can reach the same kinds of people that he reached. You know, there, there are prostitutes in the city. There is the equivalent of tax collectors in the city. Let's reach out to those people. Let's communicate with them. Let's learn to communicate with them the way Yeshua did, eh? And maybe we'll end up seeing some of the same results. Um, N.T. Wright, who is like a pretty famous theologian, New Testament scholar, he said the best way to change someone's worldview is to replace their stories with better stories. And I, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. The best way to change a person's worldview, to see their lifestyle change, is to replace the stories that they believe and that they base their actions on with better ones. And probably with truer ones also. So let's do that. Like We, we live in a city full of people that have believed false stories, that have a skewed view of reality um, and, and uh, messed up worldviews. So let's, let's begin to... Let's begin to introduce truth into our conversations, into their lives, and hopefully see the truth of the scriptures, see Yeshua's stories, replace all those, uh, all those other ones that are um, contributing to um, the, the messed up state of this world. And um, this is a dream of mine. Let's not just like tell stories, his stories to people. Let's teach other people how to do that so that they can reach new social networks, new families, um, new neighborhoods that we would never be able to. Eh? So let's not make, just make disciples. Let's make disciples that make lots more disciples for Yeshua. Uh, that's my dream. And uh, I believe that he's taking us there. Shalom, I'm Izzy Avraham. And thank you for joining me for this talk. I delivered these messages live during the years I was leading a congregation. They're now hosted by my Hebrew school, Holy Language Institute, at holylanguage.com. If you're interested in the talks I've done since then, or if you'd just like to say thank you for these teachings, become a member at holylanguage.com.